We're back. We are back. This episode feels like a big deal tonight, doesn't it? The first one of 2024. Folks, it's going down tonight. It's about to go down right now. We're about to blow the lid off this motherfucker, okay? If I'm saying it's going down tonight, I mean it's going down tonight like Selly Cell talked about to get the late 90s parties bumping and thumping. Selly, it's going down tonight. Bet $5 a game on Matt 95 on Sega. Tacking out the room, fools like you know the ground. They better have some get back because tonight it's going back. What was that sound effect in 90s rap? And then the bass just thumped so good. Does bass still thump like that? Hell no. The old man who wants to let you know that his rap is better than this current rap. Actually, I've changed my whole philosophy on that. No, no more. No more back in my day it was better. It probably wasn't. I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to learn from the youth. You lead the way. Kiddos, I'll follow your lead. Why not? How special is the number of this episode? 227. How many of the listeners right now know exactly what I'm talking about? 227. Okay. Go back to the 80s. You got to go back to the 80s for this. You remember the 80s when you had to watch a 30-minute sitcom on the night it came out? Because you couldn't pause or record live TV. You couldn't do it. You had to be on the couch for 227 with Jack Hay. The lovely, the sassy, the classy, always big and beautiful buxom Jack Hay. You remember Jack Hay? What was the shtick? I was too young to know, but there was a laugh track, so it prompted my laughter. I would know when Jack Hay said something funny on 227. Now, I also don't know why I loved 227 so much, but this is episode 227, and that was a sitcom on NBC back in the day. And just so I refresh my memory, I'm going to type in to Google right now, 227 Wikipedia, what was the synopsis? I couldn't describe it. I know I liked it as a little kid, as a little fifth grader watching 227, but what was it about? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Here we go. 227 followed the lives of people in a middle-class apartment building, 227 Lexington Place, in northeast Washington, D.C. Who knew? The show was centered around Mary Jenkins, Marla Gibbs, a nosy and tart-tongued but loving housewife. Tart-tongued. Woo! That's a good name for a podcast. Welcome back to Tart-tongued with your boy, Josh Rosenberg. Her husband, Lester, love the name Lester. I feel like no one is named Lester anymore. Lester, played by Hal Williams, Had his own construction company. I forget that. No, I kind of remember. There was a Wrecking Ball episode, so maybe that was connected. And their daughter, Brenda, played by Regina King. Regina King. Man, she must have been so young in that. Her first TV acting role was boy crazy, yet smart and studious. And that was 227. Then it says in the third season in 1987, Jack Hay, who just won an Emmy, changed her stage name. And then went solo by just Jack Hay. Guess it used to be Jack Hay Harry. And she went solo name like Madonna, like Sting, like Pink. We're just going by one name. 
And she used that till 94 when she changed back. Who cares about all that? All right, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 227. And why is it so special? Because the theme song. See, that's what I loved. I'm not even sure I loved any of the shows in the 80s and 90s. I love the theme songs that get you pumped for the sitcom. It's like why I like walk-up music in baseball. It gets you pumped. That's why I like entrance music for stand-up comedians. It gets you pumped. Well, the 227 song, which I'll play for you in a moment, is so apropos of where I am in life right now. And I'll explain. I'll explain. But first, let me recite the lyrics for you. 227 is your lyrics called There's No Place Like Home. There's no place like home with your family around and you're never alone. When you know that you're loved, you don't need to roam because there's no place like home. Times are a change in every day. We won't get by with those same old ways. No pulling together will make it right. With help from our friends, I know we'll get by. Why? Because there's no place like home. Tell them. electronica sound just sounds like some loose wire is buzzing i guess that was old school music but the message is timeless and i am hot so i'm going to take off my fleece i'm gonna do a little mr rogers wardrobe change real quick hold on i'm not even gonna stop recording i'm just gonna change I'm just going to get butt naked. You're going to be like, what? He's naked recording the episode? I mean, I don't see it, but still it tarnishes what we're listening to. Would it? If I told you right now, I'm just going to strip down, take off my fleece pants, my fleece. (laughs) I've been wearing sweats for so long. Oh my God, winter break. Hold on. Let me just wiggle out of that. Yep. No, I'm still wearing clothes. Uh, But yeah, let me go back. Let me pontificate on that for a moment. No need to roam. There's no place like home with your family around, yada, yada. It sounds good. It sounds good. It's true. And I'm a homebody. I like it. I'm a domesticated fool. However, during this winter break, when I hear people are taking trips, half my family took a trip. My wife took our six-year-old to Fargo. Hey, Josh, are you going to make it this year? No. Uh, No. Can't make it to Fargo. Sorry, fam. But that damn MDDS got that mal de debacle monsoon's room. And I sway, and it's a brain disorder, so I can't get on flights or boats or trains. Just catching you up for a moment. But there are times, like right about now, where it sounds good to travel a little bit. So, no need to roam? I disagree. I think I need to roam a little bit. I think I need to get out. Having cabin fever in your house makes sense. But what about cabin fever in your own town? Even if you love your town and you love your home, I need to go somewhere, folks. I need to travel a bit. I'm just Googling places. I'm looking at hotels in Hawaii. I'm looking at Airbnbs and Bs and VRBOs in New Orleans. And I'm looking at stuff that I can't go to right now. It's not a sob story. This is what my wife calls a luxury disorder. It's not a life-threatening ailment. I'm good, I'm good. But there are times like right about now. 
get a two-week break as a teacher, and I'm kind of just in the rhythm and the flow. And when you're in the rhythm and the flow and you don't do anything novel, days fly by and you don't get out of your sweats. Not because you're depressed, just sweats are comfy, you know that. But on the flip side, let me flip it for you real quick. My wife, just to make it out to Fargo, you got to fly into Minneapolis. With a six-year-old, it's not easy. You got to bring a ton of luggage filled with clothes and presents. Then you got to wait in the Minneapolis airport. You don't just get out of the airport and go to the Mall of America and ride all the rides. No, you got to wait for that next connecting flight to Fargo, which is an additional hour. And altogether, it's probably like an eight-hour, nine-hour travel day to get there and then coming back, just setting the alarm early, getting a little bit of jet lag, tired eyes. Do we remember to do this? There's a lot involved, right? And all she did was just fly to see her family. But if she was describing, I was like, oh, I don't envy that. Not to not to say, not to say, like Larry David style, hey, the pandemic means we don't have to leave. Great. But hey, MDDS means I don't have to do that. There's there's a tiny part of that. 99.9999999% of me hates this. But that tiny part where I'm like, so never? I mean, like never have to deal with the airport stress again? You know, always look on the bright side of life. Isn't that what we're supposed to sing? Always look on. It's not always easy. That's why a lot of people are medicated because it's nearly impossible to always look on the bright side of life. It's a great song. It's a great message, but it's impossible. Humans have proven that. You know, no bad days is a bunch of bullshit. That slogan is a bunch of bullshit. You're allowed to have bad days. You're allowed to have bad moments and you're allowed to look on the low, dark, dim side of life. And if my wife comes home, she was exhausted, has such intense back pain from carrying so much luggage, probably having shitty sleeps on a lumpy hotel mattress, you know, all of this to see the fam. So it's worth it. But then again, how many Americans are excited to see their fam during the holidays? Or is it just something you grit your teeth through and you get through it and you say, we did it. We check, check it off the list. And now we move on with our lives and people can't wait to get back into their rhythm. However, I thought about this, just the flying alone. I thought about Jamie Moyer, which is weird, but Jamie Moyer played Major League Baseball until he was 49. I'm 42 right now. Jamie Moyer was on teams that would take road trips, meaning most Major League Baseball teams in a 182-game season, they're probably taking like 30 flights a year. Think about 30 flights a year for a moment. Think about that. Even if it's first-class luxury, which it probably is for Jamie Moyer, 49-year-old? Even if I wasn't playing baseball and didn't have MDDS, even if I was doing nothing once I got to the destination, that's grueling. Isn't that something we could work on? As everything is supposed to become easier, shouldn't we just have a different way of traveling by now? I'm just pressing fast forward on where tech seems to be going. Shouldn't we teleport by now? We're still dealing with delays. We're still dealing with security. We're still dealing with canceled flights. It still takes four and a half hours, five hours to go to New York. It should be 30 minutes by now. How are we not taking the express? How are we not building things into the earth? How are we not going at the speed of light by now? I'm just relying on scientists and engineers to speed shit up. But I don't like how AI has sped shit up to the point where soon I was told, you're going to read books one day that are just written by robots. I don't want to. I like the human touch. You're going to watch movies one day that were just written by robots. I don't want to. I want to watch things that are written by humans so I could be impressed. You know, you're going to watch actors who aren't even acting. It's just AI. You know, you're going to even just AI. All these people who are so ahead of AI and telling me what it's going to be like. I don't want 
want it. I don't want any of that. I like the human touch. But when it comes to advancing travel, a little bit of evolving that, make it faster. It's a little antiquated. You know what else is antiquated? School. Still doing school this way? We're still doing school this way. I poll my students. I say in 100 years, it's now 2024. In 2124, are we still doing high school like this? Most of them say, nah, we're probably not doing high school like this. How's it going to change? It just will. We'll just insert a microchip into their heads and say, boom, you learned Spanish, English, history, math, geometry. You did PE today. It's in the microchip too. And there's your transcript. Send it off. We'll just download the info. That's the sound of downloading information into your brain. Where were we? 227, Jamie Moyer. Does anyone know the big lefty, Jamie Moyer? He got in the league in the mid-80s, and he retired in 2012. Holy shit, that's longevity. That man probably didn't mind travel. Isn't that the bare minimum requirement? You're thinking, no, you probably have to still be able to throw a fastball and get the batters out. No, you probably just have to be able to tolerate travel at that point of your career. You weigh the pros and cons. He must have hated his family. Oh, my God. Jamie was like, I'm not retiring. I'll play. Can you send me down to the minors? Jamie, you're 49. Can you, I'll do double A. What do, you, what do you need? I just can't go home to them. I can't do it. Like the holidays require so many Americans to go see the fam. Go fly home. You'll get triggered by all sorts of PTSD and intergenerational traumas. Go ahead. Sit at that dinner table. You better inject the martinis this year to get through it. That sounds cynical, right? Because some people love going home to see their fam. And I'm not talking about that. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. How nice was it? Huh? Huh? How nice was it for y'all? Happy holidays, everybody. Did you make resolutions? I did, but I'm so lazy I didn't write them down. So it's almost like I didn't do anything. I just thought about some resolutions. Less dairy, trying to lose the belly fat. Um, What else? Less screen time. Um, What else? The obvious ones, right? Is buy better pillows a resolution? I don't even know. But I should buy better pillows. Because my pillows are dirty and they're ripped and torn apart. It actually looks like a dog destroyed these and I still use those. But that's not a resolution. You don't care about that. Um, don't pick its skin if you get nervous. That's called trichotechalitomania. I think I got a little of that. Uh, yeah, take care of skin. My wife now has 10 skin products. She follows a dermatologist on YouTube. And she tells me, this is an astringent. Now, this is a cleanser. This is a toner. This is an exfoliator. This is the moisturizer. And it takes her 35 minutes to wash her face. And my God, I envy that. But yeah, maybe I'll commit to skincare this year. Work out three times a week. It's the same shit every year. You know what we should do? If we're going to make a resolution, we should also flip it on its side and say what we did well in the previous year, I was a good husband. I was a good dad. I was a good teacher. You know, check the boxes of these things. Otherwise, we're always just chasing these new improvements, which are good. Resolutions are good. The intention is good. But you also got to look back and say, wait, what did I do well in 2023? Make that list. Not just the resolution list, but the, you know, pat yourself on the back list. My fitness is fine. That's what I've realized. I went to a hot Pilates class. My wife likes hot Pilates. And she took me. She said, guys, do go to these classes. And she's right. It's probably like 84% women. But there's a few guys hanging out, a few creeps like me go in there and say, yeah, um, uh, hope I can keep up. And then because you're paying for the class or I got a free one. But that's 
not part of the story. Let's just pretend because I paid for the class. You want to challenge yourself. And they pump the room up to like 105 degrees. So right when you walk in, you're like, nope. Uh, but the instructors are enthusiastic. And the whole time they're telling you things like, reach for your dreams and you can do it. Don't let anyone say no. Don't stop. And it's just like mantra after mantra after mantra. Now pump and slide. Now pump, pump and slide. And run, run. Mountain climbers, push-ups, burpees, push-ups, burpees. And you're just slipping all over your mat and your eye. You're sweating from the inside of your eyelids, so you're officially blind. You can't see anything. A hot Pilates class is not a hot yoga class. You're in motion the whole time. People do drop like flies. There's people that just have to exit because it's too hot and they exerted too much. But at 42, I was able to do it. There it is. A self-congratulatory moment. I was able to hang. And afterwards, yeah, I needed about three days to recover. And you do feel the euphoria as you walk to your car and the cold, brisk air hits you. And your puddle of sweat that you put onto your driver's seat, you're just like, what did I just do? And some people do that every day. Some of these Marin moms and dads do it every day. No thanks to every day. But that's where I'm in my fitness. I can still hang in a hot Pilates class. Does Facebook ever give you memories? I'm still on Facebook. That's not a resolution, by the way. I'll get rid of all the others, but Facebook has become like charming <laughs> nostalgia already. Facebook is like such old school social media that they'll throw memories my way and say, hey, Josh, don't you remember 10 years ago? Click on your memories 10 years ago today. And they have like these graphics and logos and they do like hearts and leaves and flowers around a memory. And you would think like it's a picture of you with, you know, one of your friends back then at the beach. But sometimes your memory, because they're just a robot. Facebook is like, hey, Josh, special memory today from 2008. And it's just like some friend you don't remember asking if you could return their barbecue spatula that they lent you. And they're just writing to you on Facebook. And now it's 2024. And Facebook's like, hey, here's a charming memory. And it's not really a memory. These are Facebook non-memories with cute graphics to make them look special. And then they'll give you a montage video of some of the posts. And the posts are very insignificant because Facebook in itself is very insignificant. But I like the memories. All I do is judge myself. Oh, look at those sideburns. Oh, God, a chin strap beard. What year is that from? Oh, look at you, you fat fuck. You showed up at that wedding with that. Oh, that ugly suit. Who... Who wants you in that ugly suit at that wedding? Isn't that funny, all the weddings you've been to but you've never seen photos of? Because most people don't share their wedding photos. It's for their album. But occasionally Facebook pops up with, Hey, Josh, remember this wedding of this friend? And you had this hair product that didn't work out well for you? And you had red cheeks by 9 p.m. because you were getting busy on the sangria. Hey, Josh, you remember these special memories? All right, Facebook, tone it down a little bit. All right, Facebook, you crossed the line. Okay? Okay. Okay? Okay. Okay. My daughter's six. Six? We have memories from when we're six. I look at her, and I still think, you know, he's a baby at six, but I remember six. I looked in my mom's photo albums. She has the wall of albums. I was there recently, and I found all the team photos of soccer throughout the years. Soccer team photos. I loved soccer, but not at first. I remember kicking and screaming. Sometimes I didn't want to go to practice because six is young. You know, you put a kid in something so young, you don't know if they like it or not yet. You don't know if it's something they want to do when they're older. At that point, they're just like, what? I'd rather be in a ball pit. I'd rather play with bubbles in the backyard. They're not picking up what teamwork is. A lot of six-year-olds might not understand. 
And I remember my first soccer team, we were horrible. We were so horrible. I don't know if we won a game. And the coach was really into Mickey Mouse. Right? And I had all these memories come to the surface, so I have to share them right now. But here's how smart I was. Let me just share this, how ambitious and smart I was as a six-year-old. Because this is the only memory I have of soccer at that age. The coach, his name was Mize, M-I-Z-E. I don't even think he had a son on the team. Isn't that weird? Sometimes there were just adults coaching us. Same with in basketball. This guy going, George going, he didn't have a son. He just like coaching. Okay, great. That's so something I would never do. I mean, maybe in high school, but just like little league, youth sports, coach a bunch of strangers, other people's kids. My kids are not on these. That's so weird. But this guy, I don't think he had a kid on the team. I don't remember. He had a Mickey Mouse house. Everything in the house. Am I making this shit up? Now it sounds like I had a NyQuil dream. He had a Mickey Mouse house. And this guy was the king of Disney. And his name was Coach Mize. And he always just wore Mickey Mouse shirts. Holy shit. And we were not good. All right. Then later in life, I joined up with the Team Bertolina and St. Johnny's. And <laughs> we dominated, folks. We were the best soccer team. But at first, it wasn't fun. However, they let you pick your team name. We had a team meeting. I remember this. And I just said, how about champions? And everyone was, I don't know, too dumb to come up with their own name. Or maybe they liked it. I don't remember why my name won out. But I remember Coach Mai saying, all right, it's picture day coming up. And they put your team name on this big name placard that some of the kids hold in the front row. Picture this. You've seen old school 1980s soccer team photos. There's the team name right there. Well, it's up to you. You name the team. And it said like, you know, kindergarten, age six, Coach Mize, champions. I think we went 0 and 20. But because I said, how about we go with the champions? That's the name of our team. Set the goal. And even if we fail, this photo will be in albums or frames for years to come. And you could either tell a lie and say, oh, yeah, that was a solid season. As you could see, we were the, the champions back then. Or it'll be just a silly little joke to tell on episode 227 because it's going down tonight. Rest is finally nightfall. Jumped in my seven boat, smashing cause I'm tight, y'all. Check to see if the tech was on the passenger seat. I need some heat. The only way I'm a creep late night through these faulty streets. I never knew what cars they were talking about. Jump into my seven foe. What's a seven for? Any rapper could say a couple of numbers, a few numbers about their car. Hit up in my 2.6. Are you talking about gallons? Is that miles per hour? Is that something about your axles? I never understand. A lot of rappers think we know more about cars than we do. Smelling that aroma, talking about the bump and coming up on the super bad something cool. You know how we do it. Touching with some game and filling with some do it fluid. We get the stuff about 30 players belling in. Give me some C and B, some Hennessy and Seagram's gin. Lemon squeeze, but no chasing food. We straight lacing. Jump in the mob and... Uh, yeah, I like that. Talked about the drink order for the night. See, that I understood. Sometimes I don't even know if I would have liked alcohol as a youngster if it weren't for the rap I was listening to. Like, of course, you emulate, you want to emulate your heroes. Like, Sally Cell, what a hero. Way more than your teachers or your parents at that age. Isn't that sad that Sally Cell probably had more influence on me than teachers and parents? Golly. But he jumped into a 7-4, and they are drinking CMB. I don't know what that is. Seagram's gin is very low shelf, by the way. All right. You can't even grab the beef eater. And then Hennessy, it's, it's strong. Even for me at this age, 
and I like strong shit. Hennessy is just, no thanks. Cognac? It's a little much. But if I hear that Sally likes it, you know I'll pour some in a snifter with a little lime. Why not? Sally taught us. He taught us that it's going down tonight. All right, so those nights that my wife was in Fargo, that meant if I got the child, the second child is two. That was like five straight days with a two-year-old, which is 99% sweetness and 1%. Let's just fast forward through this and get to bedtime so I could have some time. She doesn't nap anymore, at least for me. So I needed that time at 8 p.m. to hit the couch, pour a glass of red wine, and watch either stand-up comedy or sports documentaries. That's all. That's all I watch when I'm alone. Stand-up specials, the new Gary Goldman on HBO Max is pretty good. As I'm reading his memoir, it's good. It's really good. It's not great. See, I'm avoiding the word great. It was just really good. Really Jewish, I should say that. I'm like, what crowd is this for? Is this a synagogue set? This is very Jewish. Gary. And then sports stocks. Any sports stocks? All sports stocks. Let's just catch up on all the sports stocks. So the one I focused on was the Barry Sanders documentary on Amazon Prime. And I had the biggest takeaway all right buckle up it's almost like a black mirror i really want you to picture this for a moment and i'm not even going to relate it to football ultimately it's anything you could be gifted at so take barry sanders who a lot of people would say is the most gifted running back of all time and then all of a sudden just said i'm done now like forrest gump after that big run i'm done now i'm gonna go home now and people were like bewildered disbelief what no you can't Barry not just in Detroit but football fans all over loved Barry Sanders so the documentary intended to shed some light on how did the greatest running back ever at the height of his career in his prime just say goodbye he sent a fax to the Lions there was no press conference he just sent a fax and he said I'm done playing football now and then rewind 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 all the way to his childhood okay his childhood and think about any kid that shows promise like real potential to be elite at a young age whether that's a dancing tennis singing swimming you name it math skills whatever it is when you see a little kid is like too good at something it makes the adults excited and the adults want to cultivate that and barry sanders had parents that loved football his dad was a football fanatic so he saw that he had a son who was gifted and from the moment he started carrying a football as a tyke, as a little kid, he was just head and shoulders above the rest. He was faster. He could juke already. He had the vision. I mean, this really is something you're born with. Barry Sanders was born with this skill. So if you're a little kid and you're like, I'm very good at this and the adults like it. And then the community likes it as you start to get into high school level. And you're like, okay, people like me and I'm a big name here. And people like to say hi to me. And they fill arenas and stadiums. And now I could go to college for this. Like at no point does he check in with himself to go, do I like football? Think about that. If your whole community was excited about you because you do something exceptionally, you're so remarkable with your talent that people older than you love you. They admire you. They're so impressed with you. They want to wear your jersey. They want to talk about you. They want to follow your career. They want to hear about you. And his parents, you know, are just on the ride. They're not like Marinovich parents, but, you know, they love watching Barry's success. He goes to Oklahoma State, and it's just bigger. 
He gets bigger and bigger and bigger. They can't catch Barry. He's the best running back in college, wins the Heisman. The trophy means nothing to him because the game means nothing to him. But it's a vehicle in life. Like we all enjoy purpose. We all enjoy accolades and some attention to a degree. And it's just clearly the story of a kid that never checked in with himself to say, what do I like? I know what other people like me to do, and I know what I'm good at. It's like he was given this gift. Here's why it's a black mirror. What if you were born with a gift that you didn't necessarily like, but you just knew you had to follow it for a bit, for as long as you could, because it made your family happy, and it made everyone in your town happy, and it made full cities happy. And then you go to Detroit, and you're like, wait, I'm the most famous guy in Detroit now? And now everybody likes for me to break records and I can break records. But to me, who gives a shit to Barry? It was who gives a shit how many yards I had. He never not once cared about his stats. He never celebrated once. That's very weird. They started showing that in the documentary that when he got into the end zone, he always just threw the ball back to the ref, never spiked it, never danced, barely even cared to high five teammates. So stoic about this game today. You know, it's so glamorized the game of football, but to Barry, he was at work with something that he unfortunately was good at. And why do I say unfortunately? Because he clearly didn't love the game of football. He was just amazing at the game of football. I don't think he hated it either. But by the time he realized, you know, people get hurt this way. He had two teammates, one paralyzed, the other had such a severe neck injury, never played again. And he's seeing, you know, management, ownership, they're not really investing in a winning team. I don't even think he cared about wins and losses. And he didn't even care about his own stats or breaking records. He doesn't care about the Hall of Fame or Pro Bowl. He didn't care about anything connected to the game of football. There's never been anyone like Barry Sanders. Most people, to get to the NFL, you got to have the type of ego where you want to crush the opponent. To him, he was just kind of like Forrest Gump, another Forrest Gump reference. When Forrest was the fastest on the football field, what did it mean to him? Nothing. It's just, this is what I can do now. Put that pigskin in my hands and watch. This is what I could do but it meant so much to others. They even make a documentary because the documentary means something to even people like me who grew up watching football in that year. I'm like, yeah, what about Barry? And it was a great documentary and he's interviewed in it. He's at peace with everything. This is not a troubled man. This is a Zen man who's able to speak about it very pragmatically. Never missed the game once, never questioned his decision. They interview all of his teammates. They interview his family throughout the documentary. But when they interview Barry, he's very robotic about this. And wouldn't that be not an affliction, but if you were given a gift and you knew it made the adults in your family happy and you knew it could get you into college to excel throughout college to be the most famous person on your college campus and then you could make millions of dollars, would you have to say yes to that path? Most people would say, yeah, I guess you would have to say yes to that. Like there's certain things in life that maybe we don't evaluate. Am I into this? And you know damn well we would just do it. Like if a limousine pulled up to my house right now, filled with Reuben sandwiches and champagne, and my wife's like, surprise, we got you tickets to the opera. I'd be like, I don't um, like the opera. I have no intention of ever going to see the opera, but you mean I just get in the limo and it takes me to the opera? And they're like, yeah, you got good. See, this is the worst example. Oh my God. If there's ever a time to just rewind, but I'll, I'll keep going with this analogy. And then I get there and I'm like, I still don't like the opera, but I could get through this. You know, it's loud singing. I guess I could even try to appreciate it. And after the opera, I take that limousine home. Cause you know, I wouldn't have even had the 
energy to drive to an opera. You'd have to put me in a limo with champagne and Reuben sandwiches. Good Reuben sandwiches, not the fatty corned beef. I need the lean stuff, okay? I had two Reubens last week. Oh, you want to hear about them? One was from a new deli called Loveski and Larkspur. It was pretty good. And the other was Perry's, which was just as good. I'm like, Perry's? Perry's has a good Reuben? A great Reuben. Perry's Reuben rivals some Jewish deli Reubens? You're damn right. But back to the opera. You made it so easy for me to go. You put me in a limo. You gave me great seats. But afterwards, hey, Josh, did you enjoy the opera? Maybe I did. Maybe opera is a terrible example because I would like it. But no matter what it was, I'd be like, ah, I, I'll never go back. I have no intention of listening to opera music at home. Who even knows if I could appreciate the caliber of talent that I witnessed? But yeah, I guess I had to do that. That's Barry's football career. I guess I had to do that. Had to ride the wave, but when I realized I have the own intuition and volition to start saying, wait, I'm going to be in control of my life. I'm going to start doing what my gut is telling me. I'm going to stop carrying the football for the Detroit Lions. I'm going to send a fax and go to London, which is exactly what he did. Reporters couldn't even find him for a moment. That's what made it a fascinating documentary. But damn, the affliction of being gifted at something. You're thinking of Bobby Fischer, aren't you, right now? You're thinking of Bobby Fischer, the chess player. Is that similar? So amazing at playing chess. And then it was troubling to gain that fame from it. That's a whole topic within itself. People that have been so troubled by their gift. Troubled by your gift. Although I don't want to paint the picture that Barry Sanders is a troubled man. Just in the end, you're like, okay, football wasn't his thing. But damn, to be the best ever at something that's not really your thing is kind of fascinating. We were the champions. The other sports documentary I watched. <laughs> you like this. Most people are coming back from their holiday trips with incredible stories and photos and memories. And I'm like, and the, the other thing I did on the couch when my family traveled and I got the two-year-old to sleep was I watched the Caitlyn Jenner documentary called Untold on Netflix. And it's about Bruce Jenner's determination to win the decathlon in the 76 Olympics. And oh, shit, it's good. It's so good. If you like the Olympics, if you like to learn about the decathlon, how many hands are up right now? Zero? Okay. But still, they have such crystal clear footage. And you see his determination, a lot of his drive. What was a lot of his drive based in this inner fury that he couldn't be himself? What was he on the inside? We all know. He was a woman. That's why Bruce is now Caitlin. But perhaps as Bruce would say, I was always that. I was always that. But I was in the body of this like incredibly ripped and gifted track and field star who was so determined he put all of that fury and energy and effort and all of that. If you put every ounce of commitment and focus into one thing, and that was, oh, how many of these can I name? The 100, the 200, the 400, the high jump, the pole vault, the long jump, all of it. Decathlon, it means 10 events that they do over a couple of days. And I interviewed him once. I did. I was at a celebrity golf tournament with Sherrod. Back in the radio days in San Diego. And when you do a radio show at a celebrity golf tournament, you get the best guests because your producer just runs all over the golf course and says, we got uh, Alan Thicke in 10 minutes and then Mickey Tettleton in two minutes and then Drew Brees, he'll come by at 1 p.m. and then Ricky Henderson and then Jerry Rice. And you're like, damn, that's a lot of people. And then Mario Lemieux and Oscar De La Hoya. And I'm still chasing down Bruce Jenner. I'm like, yeah, 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 get Bruce Jenner because that's when the Kardashians was a big show. 
And I watched one season, I'm not going to lie, I did watch one season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and it hooks you. Reality TV in this country, obviously it hooks you. You saw the OJ trial and many other things from Waco to Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. There were little, little instances where you got to see that reality TV was about to take off with news stories that would linger around for a while. And we were just like, we like the drama, we like the gossip, way before TMZ. But now it just exploded into real reality TV, like the Kardashians. And at the time, you're like, the Kardashians? Don't you mean OJ's lawyer? Isn't that the only way we know the name? And then fast forward to right now. And of course, OJ's lawyer is the least famous Kardashian um, who passed away. Now we know the other Kardashian. What the fuck am I explaining this for? But they bring over Bruce Jenner, and he was cool as a cucumber. And I've never said cool as a cucumber, but he truly was cool as a cucumber, and he wanted to talk to Kathlon. And I was fascinated. I mean, this is arguably, you can make a case that he's, you know, one of the top 10 great American athletes of all time. If you watch this documentary, Untold, the Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner story of his decathlon days, you'll see they talked to his wife at the time, uh, his competitors. It's just like crystal clear footage that they have too. It's amazing. Sports docs, they hit me. That's when I realized I like old, old shit more than new shit. Don't we all? I don't care how old you are. Don't you like your music from your day? Don't you like your sports memories from your day more than most of the stuff that's coming at you right now? Uh, what a weird sound to make when you know you got nothing left in the tank and it's time to say goodbye on episode 227. 227. Does anyone here, I'm just going to end with this thought. Does anyone feel uniquely forgettable? Like physically, like your face. As in, if you saw someone who you hadn't seen in, let's say, eight, to nine years would you be certain that they wouldn't recognize you not because you've aged a lot but just because you felt like you didn't really seem memorable back then even today i mean your close friends know you but like the passing by community people you've met a few times don't you feel uniquely forgettable is it just me i mean physically i don't mean like you know the impact i've made on people's lives not that does anyone else share that weird feeling that the way you look is uniquely forgettable? Like your face would not be remembered or recognized by most people that have met you years ago? Or is that just something that I've conjured up in my head? That's a weird one. I got a lot of weird ones dancing around in this dome. Dancing around in the dome. This tart-tongued podcast host is ready to wrap up episode two, two. Seven. Two, two, seven. I'll take a selfie right now, put it on Facebook, and then 10 years from now, I'll say, hey, Josh, don't you remember January 3rd, 2023? Wasn't it special when you were doing that butt naked podcast? But no one can see it. Your room's hot. I got the heat on too much. And yes, I did get naked throughout the show. You didn't even know that. It didn't change the mood of the show at all. You listen to a naked man speak to himself in a microphone. What's wrong with you? God, you need to make a resolution. Honestly. You need to check yourself before you, um, hmm, ah, yes, wreck yourself. But I'm going to say goodbye now. I'm going to go home now. Okay. Episode 227's in the books. I guess I'll talk to some of you soon. (laughs) 